Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'll be joined tonight by Michael Geis from uh, Blue and Orange Nation. Uh, we first met Michael. Uh, he was half of the short-lived but wonderful Two Guys Talking Mets website. And then uh, after that dissolved, he moved on to co-found the Blue and Orange Nation podcast. Uh, and he's here to discuss all things Mets. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brian. Nice to be on. All right, well, let's get right into it. Mets had a day game today, and before we talk about today, let's talk about last night. Tuesday night, the Mets used their closer in a game that they were winning by five runs, and today they needed him to close out, but it was the third straight day that he pitched. He had nothing, and he took the loss. Uh, I want you to talk about Terry Collins' bullpen management and what, if anything, you would do differently if you were in the dugout calling the shots. Um. I'm a tough one to ask that question to, not because I would so much support his bullpen management, but what I would do if, you know, I was king of the world or at least a major league manager as far as handling a bullpen would be so radically different than what any manager does now that I can't even, I can't even relate. I, I, you know, what, what Collins does just seems to me to be what everyone does which is constant matchups, uh, four or five guys a game, not using, uh, you know, not leaving a guy in who's having a good day. And I just can't relate to it, you know, probably showing my age. But I also feel that's one of the reasons guys burn out. Uh, We see it all the time. I think one of the reasons you see collapses from teams in September because bullpens are shot from the way they get used. So uh, though I'm not – the long-winded way of saying I'm not going to defend his bullpen management overall, sort of my weak defense would be when I look around baseball, I don't see much bullpen management I'm impressed with. Now, I like to refer to that as the LaRussification of uh, bullpen management because Tony LaRussa was really the first one who really uh, embraced that loogie philosophy that we're going to have a guy that we're going to use for fewer uh, innings pitched than games. And, you know, you see some uh, wacky things now where you'll have a guy who's appeared in 60 games and he only has 40 innings pitched. And it's a tough way to run your bullpen. You know, it's one thing if you've got starters who are consistently going seven, eight, nine innings and a a shutdown closer, but if you don't have those things, it becomes really tough. The math just doesn't work innings-wise for your bullpen. And then you have a situation like today or (laughs) this this year where it seems like every game there's there's five or six relievers used because you're you're doing the matchup thing, and it's insane. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see the game today, but there was uh, one inning where a lefty led off, so Josh Edgen came on. He retired the lefty, and then they brought in Hansel Robles. And meanwhile, Hansel Robles doesn't have any trouble getting lefties out. So it, it's just it's maddening. And uh, uh, I look forward to the day when uh, we have a little sanity brought to the bullpen. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, sooner or later, I mean, you know, it's always, LaRusso was innovative at his time when he did what he did. Everybody now has followed its suit. Uh, Every action has a, you know, a contrarian reaction, Um, especially with the cost of players. I just don't see the rosters expanding beyond the current 25. And the way bullpens are being used, and I, I don't dispute that, you know, it, it, a lot of times you might be able to find a favorable matchup if we just look at the the, the one batter versus one batter in isolation. Uh, I just don't know if it's the best way to utilize a roster. You end up uh, short-ended on the bench. I was at a game, uh, a couple, um, it's probably three weeks or so ago, where you know now the Mets have another issue, which is they don't even think it's necessary to have a 25-man roster. And they usually have about three guys that can't play sitting on the bench every day. But I was at a game where it was the sixth inning, and the first pinch hitter we used, because I don't think anybody else available, was Zach Wheeler. I mean, that's that's another side of the way the bullpens get used. I mean, you know, they've went from you've you've went from nine or ten man staffs to thirteen man staffs. There's only twenty five guys on the team, so something's going to have to give somewhere along the line. Yeah, you were talking about roster makeup, and I want to talk about the roster makeup, but this time instead focusing on the team's hitters. We've got P.J. Rivera, who's gotten a shot, and he's been hitting great. And Wilmer Flores does really well against lefties, but he's a liability anywhere he plays in the field. And we expect both Lucas Duda and Azdrubal Cabrera to be returning shortly, possibly this weekend. So how are the Mets going to handle the infield? And the, the question I wonder, and I, I don't have the answer, is um, is can Rivera play, you know, a, a competent third base, right? I, I, I I'm going to guess he can't play an excellent third base, or else I don't know why he's not playing over there right now, um, because you know we know Flores doesn't play an excellent third base, uh, but can he play a competent third base? I would, if hopefully he can, and he's hot right now, and I'm not going to try to project his career, but you know. Why not ride this while it's happening? There seems to be a lot of room right there at that spot right now. Reyes is is not being is not you know he's just not what he was and he's not going to be. I think Duda needs to play, but I I also think that uh, that's where you can spot Flores. I think he can play some first base against lefties. He does hit lefties. If you're going to hide him someplace, that's as good a place is any and and that's you know Flores against lefty uh, most lefties give Duda a day off see what Rivera can do I don't think Reyes has to play every day Reyes could also play a little short I think for a lot of reasons including he's clearly breaking down left and right I don't think Cabrera can play every day uh I don't think they have too many players there that but um this is a case where you know you should use everyone you should, you know, the, the the sum could be greater than, uh, you know, any one of the individual parts. Now, I'm not a big Wilmer Flores fan, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that he had three hits today against uh, righty pitchers of all things. So uh, I don't know if I, I want him in in the field any more than we have to. I'm quite content to to sit him on, let him sit him on the bench, let him be a pinch hitter, and then wait till we get to the. Uh, American League ballparks and and let him DH. I think that if anyone should get the short end of the stick, it's 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 Wilmer just because he's so unbelievably poor defensively. And there's been a little discussion about how good T.J. Rivera is in the field. You know, he's playing first base. He's not a natural first baseman. I'm not sure what natural he is, 
but it, it's it's next to impossible for me to believe that he'd be worse at third base than Flores. Uh, yeah, I would look. I, I'm. Uh, I, I think Wilma can hit some. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he played every day, but I don't know how you could play him every day because I agree. There's just no place he can really be on the field defensively where you know he's not a liability. So in the NL, you can only play him so much. You have to spot him, and it's it's still. I'm sort of sitting here now while I'm speaking to you, thinking, imagine he was a shortstop for a while. You know, like. I know that couldn't have happened, but um, but it did. Uh, 2015, yeah, exactly. it wasn't that long ago. Like, <laughs> exactly, crazy, right? You know, uh, you see crazy things in life, but um, I think that uh, I I think that that that's true. That that you know, Rivera has already shown that he's less less of a liability, I'll say, than than Flores. So he must be able to play a competent third base. I'm a little surprised he's not there then because. I think Flores has been, you know, it at least takes his arm out of the equation. So I would say he's been yes. less awful at first than some of the other positions. Now, we've talked about uh, problems with the bullpen and, and problems uh, configuring the offense. And one thing that we didn't think or we couldn't possibly imagine would be an issue would be the starting pitching. It was supposed to be the strength of the team. But here we go, and we're lucky these days if we get a starter to go five innings. Um, what what's the best way to handle the starters going forward to get more production from them? Wow, I mean and that that's a tough question because I mean look at all of a sudden who the starters are. Uh, you know how 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 deep in games am I supposed to expect you know Tommy Malone to go? Uh, so I, I you know they've really been hit by injuries there. It, it's it ha- I mean, with pitches, it's just such a uh, common occurrence now, and and it's happening again to them, uh, you know, for any team, and Mets sure get their share of pitching injuries. I don't know how much deeper you can get a lot of these guys, considering who they are. I mean, if Matt comes back, would, is he going to be a workhorse? I kind of doubt it. Um, Gesellman is just struggling. There's no way he wouldn't have been sent down if we didn't have if we had anybody else to pitch, right? He's you know he's pitched really badly and he might you know normally that would get sent down. Uh, Degrom worries me a little bit. Uh, There's something he usually has such great command and his command has been bad. I just hope it's not something physical. And DeGrom's yeah, lack of command is clearly keeping his outings from being longer, and they really could use some length from him. It's really interesting to watch him pitch because you can see that he's got dynamite stuff, and he's striking out double-digit batters in, in virtually every game he's pitching. But he's, he has one inning, it seems, uh, mm. where he gives up uh, multiple well-hit balls, and I used to play on a softball team, and we, we had a similar problem. We used to call it Obi, one bad inning, and uh, that seems to come up and, and bite the Grom more often than not, and you, know, you got to hope that he can find his command, but to me, the the, the real wild cards and what's going the Mets are going to need to get are innings from Harvey and Gazelman, and hopefully you were mentioning earlier that if the Mets had more pitching depth that Gazelman would have been sent down. Hopefully he has enough time to work through his problems and he can give us six, seven innings on a regular basis rather than uh, five, and hopefully we're still in the game. 
Yeah, I mean, they need length. And, and it's funny you know, how, how things have went because, uh, you know, you mentioned, you you know, you opened the show with, with the concern of burning out the bullpen, and the bullpen guys, are they've shown burnout already, you know, during different periods in the beginning of the season. And we know that there was, you know, it was it was made public that there was like a real – emphasis and plan that they just even if they were rolling they weren't going to let the starters go very far at all in in april i think it it really led to some disastrous uh weeks for the bullpen and the starters got hurt anyway so <laughs> you know you really you really have to wonder it's really tough to um manage these starters you know these days and keep them keep them on the field Speaking of really tough, let's talk about uh, Kevin Ploiecki. He was in the starting lineup today, today being a, a day game after a night game. and He went 0 for 4, and he ended the game with a, a squib that maybe went uh, two feet in front of the catcher. And Is there any reason for anyone to remain hopeful that he'll be a useful MLB player? Well, you know, you can always hope, <laughs> but hope is not a strategy. <laughs> and uh, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a tough guy to ask. You know, uh, uh, Kevin could be great. You know, for all I know, Kevin's a great guy. But I've never really ever. I mean, when we did have the blog, I was negative about him. Even when he was in the minors, I didn't understand what anybody was ever seeing in in, in him. Uh, now I've gotten to see him a lot, you know, up close and personal, and I, I don't even like him in, as a projection personally as a backup catcher. Uh, a backup catcher to me, I'm looking for something out of that person, either, you know, either at least be outstanding, even if you can't hit it all, be outstanding defensively. I don't, I don't put him in that camp. And if, Otherwise, maybe if you can't really hit, at least I'll call it like, you know, the Barajas factor, you know, at least if you hit the ball, make it go a long way, which he doesn't give you that either. So I just, I'm not impressed. And uh, and I have to say, I think that he's an example of, you know, he was taken with a sandwich pick, a fairly high draft pick. I think if you you know if you look at like a guy like T.J. Rivera who had a scrap and claw his way to major leagues, I think if Clev- Kevin Plowicki was a 20th round pick, he would have never sniffed the major leagues. He had a really good season in Low A, but I think that he was he was a little old for that league, and I think as he's gone up the ladder, he's gone he's gotten worse and worse, and I think there was one exception to that, and that was when he was in Double A. And because mm-hmm. of a boost from his home ballpark, he had pretty good numbers in Double A. But that was like the one spike on the the chart that doesn't make sense. Otherwise, it would just be a a straight downward trajectory, and we'd be looking at as what he did in the majors. Like, yeah, that's pretty much what we expected him to do. But because of that season in Double A, I think a lot of people have have faith that that he'll be a useful MLB player. And it, and it was just a couple of years ago that people were trying to dream ways to get both he and uh, Darno into the lineup at the same time. And uh, that just seems crazy to me, and, and I, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think that would be crazier than that would be trying to find a way to get Jason Phillips on the field and not catching. And no, <laughs> team would ever, no team would ever do that. <laughs> uh, Jason Phillips, a great blast, blast from the past. 
Well, anyway, <laughs> he's he's Mike, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking all things Mets, and we're we're going all over the field. And let's talk a little bit about Curtis Granderson. And uh, he got off to his. Uh, for the Mets, at least, a uh, somewhat rough start. But here in the last few games, he seems to be turning it on. He has four doubles and a homer in his last seven games. But we expect Cespedes to be back in, in a couple of weeks, and, and in all likelihood, uh, Granderson will be the odd man out. Um, but how do you think the Mets should handle the outfield once everyone is back and healthy? Well, I think uh, one, I'll be, I'm suspicious to see if it ever happens. Right, because somebody could still get hurt before Cespedes comes back, and and, and you know, Absolutely. right? You know, Grandison's no kid is an example. Um, but uh, if it does happen, I think it's it's one of those what I'll call you know good problems to have. I think that uh, as you see with Ostani pitching, and it was a time where people say we had too many of those. You know, I'd rather have too much than not enough of anything. But you're asking the question, so I, I'll stop evading it now. And yeah, I think you know. Look, Conforto's got to play. I mean, yeah, you know, I, 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 I got Conforto and Grandison on my fantasy team, and I'm sorry, Grandison's not <laughs> on my bench. You know, so <laughs> so I have to be honest, right? Like, so Conforto's got to play. I know that's what I'm doing with the team I manage, and uh, you know, Cespedes is going to have to play, and so uh, right now, you look at the way they're all playing. Bruce has got to play. I, I don't know. I mean, Granison's going to have to get really hot, and he has that in him. But unless he gets really hot really fast, you know, I don't think Cespedes is that far away. He'll be the odd man out. Now, I think he could still get some. You know, he can get some games. I think we've. Uh, I think we've seen enough of Cespedes to know that maybe, you know, he shouldn't play every single day. You know, he seems very susceptible to leg injuries. He breaks down. I don't want to see him sit much, but, you know, once a week wouldn't be a crazy idea. Uh, certainly, uh, of course, of a long season, not a crazy idea to Bruce sit once a week. Uh, Conforto, uh, they, you know, he's a young buck. They better not sit him much. So, you know, and then you, know, you got late inning, you got mix and match, you can pinch it, whatever. But I think at this stage of Granison's career and in his last year to contract, I don't think that would be a terrible thing, you know, for him to just be weapon off the bench, used when needed. I think, you know, they really got their money's worth overall out of that deal. And if that if that's what it becomes, you know, for the rest of the way, so be it. Now, I want to move on to a, a story that really dominated the headlines. And to me, this is more page six than, than the back pages. So it's not really a story that I like, but I don't think that we can – we can avoid it completely. And of course we're talking about Matt Harvey. So is it possible for him to come back without any more drama? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know, Matt, right. I, I don't, I have to admit, you're going to surprise you, Brian, but I don't re- actually know Matt Harvey. I don't <laughs> travel in his circles. So I'm looking at this from afar, but I'll take a shot at it from right from from uh, from where I'm sitting. And he doesn't seem like a guy where it's ever going to be no drama. I just don't see it. I think 
you know, even when it was sort of a positive thing and, and you know, he, to me, he wanted to be Joe Namath originally in his own way. To, you know, I'm aging myself with the reference. But I just think he likes attention, and I don't know if that's ever going to change. Whatever the current issue is, whether it's a serious issue uh, or not, Right, uh, and I, you know, how serious it is. Uh, like, does he have a real huge problem, or just he thinks he's above the rules? Sometimes it's hard for me to say. I just think they'll always, they might. I don't think it's ever just going to be, you know, he's ever going to be a guy that just punches the clock and keeps to himself. I don't see it. I think in most things, I tend to fall on the side of the player. I'm, I'm pro-player. I think we should do everything we can to put the players in the position to succeed, and I think they should reap the benefits of their performance. But having said that, I think that you have to have rules. And, and if you don't follow the rules, there has to be consequences. And I'm really glad that the Mets suspended them. And I really would have even supported a longer suspension than three days and say, look, you know, if you want to be Joe Namath, Rock on. Go be Joe Namath. But you've got to pull it together and show up when you're supposed to, to, to show up and be ready to play when, when game time rolls around. And I don't think that the, the two things have to be so difficult to achieve. And so I'm, I'm glad the Mets suspended them. I wish they would have gone even further to, to, to make even a, a stronger statement. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I'm kind of like with you at this stage of my life with the pro player. Um, when I answer and say, I don't know if there'll ever be no drama with him, that's not even necessarily 100% you know, negative comments on my part. I just don't think he's ever going to be a guy with no drama. Uh, but I am 100%. Look, you know, uh, you got to go to work. You know, you got to show up for work. That's just one of those things to me that's not um, negotiable. And... Uh, yeah, they they could have did a week and it would have been fine by me. And I think Harvey's also finding out the hard way, uh, and you'll you definitely see this in all of sports, that that you can get away with a lot more when you are performing as a star. And if you don't keep performing at that level, <laughs> you can get away with less. Now, that might not be... That's certainly not right as far as I'm concerned, and it might not be fair, but that tends to be the way things work in life. And so I think he's getting a little bit of a wake up there, and I, I, although I agree with how they handled this, I have to wonder what has happened in the past, and did they handle things the same way then? And did they look the other way and let some of this happen? You know, I, I think about the way they handled a guy like Gooden. You know, the same owners are still in place. And I think sometimes they're all too willing to look the other way when, you know, the player is really a star. And, and Well, a lot of teams do that. So uh, I think he's also getting that cold water in the face. I just have to wonder what they would have did if, you know, his ERA was 1.78 right now, and he was leading the NL in strikeouts. I just wonder. Now, this is Mets 360. We talk about the Mets, but you just mentioned Joe Namath. So I have to ask you, what's your favorite <laughs> uh, Joe Namath uh, commercial memory? <laughs> oh, uh, the the uh, when he wore the stockings. <laughs> I think that was my favorite Joe Namath commercial memory. 
because I was just young and it was just like kind of shocking to me. It was like, look at this, you know. Was, now, you know, there wouldn't be a shocking thing at all. But at the time, that was pretty. Uh, that was considered like very risque. Oh, and the one that stands out to me is the Noxima shaving commercial, I, uh, where I almost Joe in his giddy voice says, "I'm gonna get creamed." Yeah, I uh, almost Farrah, went there again. Risque at the time, right? Nothing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, um, each week here on on the podcast, we do a crazy prediction. And I'm going to give you mine first, and then I'll ask you for yours. So my crazy prediction for this week is that Rene Rivera, who last year uh, I think hit 222 and has a lifetime 219 batting average, my crazy prediction is he's going to finish the year hitting 275. So I want to know what you think about my crazy prediction and what's yours for the Mets this year? Well, I hope your crazy prediction comes true. So that's the first thing because that'd be pretty great. Because that's to me that's one thing you know we mentioned. I really like Rivera, and it's that it's because as I said to you, what do I like in a backup catcher? I like him as a backup catcher. I like a backup catcher that can do something special, and I think he is special. Uh, it, it showed up. I've seen that. You know, I see it with my eyes, and then when I look at metrics, I know baseball prospectus. When I when I read the write up on what they thought of him as a receiver, they had metrics that backed up what I saw. You know, he's considered just such an outstanding receiver that you know you start with that. Uh, I know in the in the prospectus write up, they actually went on about in his case, does it even matter what he hits? Should he play every day? You know, pretty much. So, I, and I do think he's just an outstanding uh, catcher. Um, I hope you're right. I don't think you're going to be. Uh, I think it's partially because he kind of does what a lot of backup catches and the ones that I find myself weirdly attracted to do, which is swing real hard a lot and maybe sometimes a little too much. So I don't know if that's going to happen. But I, I, I I wish that prediction very well. All right, so what's yours? All right, so mine is not as strictly positive as yours. I don't know if you're going to consider it crazy or not. Uh, it kind of ties in a little bit to the beginning of our conversation tonight. I'm going to predict, I, I just don't, I, I've been concerned for a long time about how things that were going to go this year with Familia. You know, that was a really rough game he had against the Giants in the playoffs to end it all. Then, in, you know, he had real, you know, off-the-field issues. Uh, didn't even get to start on time this year. Didn't get a proper spring training. And, you know, it seems like there's nobody to blame but himself for that. So that's no sympathy here. Uh, and and he's an odd closer. I mean, he he throws hard, but... He kind of needs ground balls. The team's infield defense is, you know, depending on who's on the field, it's bad to scary. I don't. I think. I think somewhere. I think by. I'm going to say by September, he's no longer the closer. And then I'm going to go further. Wow. And Reed's not closing. And Hansel Robles wow. is the closer by September. Oh my That's God! That's my crazy prediction. Well, I ding 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 ding. I think you hit crazy. 
I love it. <laughs> Actually, I don't love it. I, I love the I love the outrageous nature of it. I don't really love what that would mean for the Mets if that were to come true. But oh my, oh, well, I'm doing my that, best, Dick Enberg. Oh my. Yeah, and that's not me professing that Hansa Robles is going to become the next Mariano Rivera. But I also think that relievers, you know, we saw like last year with Reed, you know, and, and I like Reed, but I don't think what we saw last year from Reed is something that people should pencil in that type of performance from him annually. And I think that, you know, these guys just can get hot. They hardly pitch. They don't really pitch that much. and They can just get on a roll. And I'm, I'm going to go with that, that he's going to get on a roll at the whole at the same time that other people are slipping, and he's going to flip right in there. He also projects to the type of guy they like to have in that role. One, he's right-handed. They don't like lefties in that role. And two, he throws hard. So, yep, that's my crazy prediction. Well, we have under a minute to go, and I'd like to get to uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to get to one more question. And about sure. a week or so ago, we were we were all talking about with the injury to Cabrera about the possibility of promoting the Mets' top prospect, who of course is Amadrasario. And when do you think the Mets will promote him? And if you were running the show, when would you get him up here to Queens? Um, I think they need they need that injection of youth, especially in that infield. Um, I, I understand if they leave it to after Super 2 because it's not like we're playing total bums right now. If they can hang on to then, I can live with it. I want to see him at that point. Well, we are out of time. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us tonight, and let's hope for better results here after the day off tomorrow than what we saw earlier this afternoon. Absolutely. Let's go Mets, Brian. All right. Have a good night, everyone.